This is section 62 of The Gilded Age. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Gilded Age, a tale of today by Mark Twain and C. D. Warner. Chapter 62. Philip Sterling's circumstances were becoming straitened. The prospect was gloomy. His long siege of unproductive labor was beginning to tell upon his spirits. But what told still more upon them was the undeniable fact that the promise of ultimate success diminished every day now. That is to say, the tunnel had reached a point in the hill which was considerably beyond where the coal vein should pass, according to all his calculations, if there were a coal vein there. And so every foot that the tunnel now progressed seemed to carry it further away from the object of the search. Sometimes he ventured to hope that he had made a mistake in estimating the direction which the vein should naturally take after crossing the valley and entering the hill. Upon such occasions he would go into the nearest mine on the vein he was hunting for, and once more get the bearings of the deposit and mark out its probable course. But the result was the same every time. His tunnel had manifestly pierced beyond the natural point of junction, and then his spirits fell a little lower. His men had already lost faith, and he often overheard them saying it was perfectly plain that there was no coal in the hill. Foremen and laborers from neighboring mines, and no end of experienced loafers from the village, visited the tunnel from time to time, and their verdicts were always the same, and always disheartening. "'No coal in that hill!' Now and then Philip would sit down and think it all over, and wonder what the mystery meant. Then he would go into the tunnel and ask the men if there were no signs yet? None. Always none. He would bring out a piece of rock and examine it, and say to himself, It is limestone. It has crinoids and corals in it. The rock is right. Then he would throw it down with a sigh and say, But that is nothing. Where coal is, limestone with these fossils in it is pretty certain to lie against its foot casing but it does not necessarily follow that where this peculiar rock is, coal must lie above it or beyond it. This sign is not sufficient. The thought usually followed. There is one infallible sign. If I could only strike that! Three or four times in as many weeks he said to himself, Am I a visionary? I must be a visionary. Everybody is in these days. Everybody chases butterflies. Everybody seeks sudden fortune, and will not lay one up by slow toil. This is not right. I will discharge the men, and go at some honest work. There is no coal here. What a fool I have been! I will give it up. But he never could do it. A half-hour of profound thinking always followed, and at the end of it he was sure to get up and straighten himself and say, There is coal there. I will not give it up and coal or no coal, I will drive the tunnel clear through the hill. I will not surrender while I am alive." He never thought of asking Mr. Montague for more money. He said there was now but one chance of finding coal against nine hundred and ninety-nine that he would not find it, and so it would be wrong in him to make the request and foolish in Mr. Montague to grant it. He had been working three shifts of men. Finally, the settling of a weekly account exhausted his means. He could not afford to run in debt, and therefore he gave the men their discharge. They came into his cabin presently, where he sat with his elbows on his knees and his chin in his hands, the picture of discouragement, and their spokesman said, "'Mr. Sterling, when Tim was down a week with his fall, 
you kept him on half wages and it was a mighty help to his family whenever any of us was in trouble you've done what you could to help us out you've acted fair and square with us every time and i reckon we are men and know a man when we see him we haven't got any faith in that hill but we have a respect for a man that's got the pluck that you've showed you've fought a good fight with everybody agin you and if we had grub to go on i'm damned if we wouldn't stand by you till the cows come home that is what the boys say now we want to put in one parting blast for luck we want to work three days more and if we don't find anything we won't bring in no bill against you that is what we've come to say philip was touched if he had had money enough to buy three days grub he would have accepted the generous offer but as it was he could not consent to be less magnanimous than the men and so he declined in a manly speech shook hands all around and resumed his solitary communings the men went back to the tunnel and put in a parting blast for luck anyhow they did a full day's work and then they took their leave they called at his cabin and gave him a good-bye and were not able to tell him their day's effort had given things a mere promising look the next day philip sold all the tools but two or three sets he also sold one of the now deserted cabins as old lumber together with its domestic wares and made up his mind that he would buy provisions with the trifle of money thus gained and continue his work alone about the middle of the afternoon he put on his roughest clothes and went to the tunnel he lit a candle and groped his way in presently he heard the sound of a pick or a drill and wondered what it meant a spark of light now appeared in the far end of the tunnel and when he arrived there he found the man tim at work tim said i'm to have a job in the golden briar mine by and by in a week or ten days and i'm going to work here till then a man might as well be at some thing and besides i consider that i owe you what you paid me when i was laid up philip said no no he didn't owe anything but tim persisted and then philip said he had a little provision now and would share so for several days philip held the drill and tim did the striking at first philip was impatient to see the result of every blast and was always back and peering among the smoke the moment after the explosion but there was never any encouraging result and therefore he finally lost almost all interest and hardly troubled himself to inspect results at all he simply labored on stubbornly and with little hope tim stayed with him till the last moment and then took up his job at the golden briar apparently as depressed by the continued barrenness of their mutual labors as philip was himself after that philip fought his battle alone day after day and slow work it was he could scarcely see that he made any progress late one afternoon he finished drilling a hole which he had been at work at for more than two hours he swabbed it out and poured in the powder and inserted the fuse then he filled up the rest of the hole with dirt and small fragments of stone tamped it down firmly touched his candle to the fuse and ran by and by the dull report came and he was about to walk back mechanically and see what was accomplished but he halted presently turned on his heel and thought rather than said no this is useless this is absurd if i found anything it would only be one of those little aggravating seams of coal which doesn't mean anything and by this time he was walking out of the tunnel his thought ran on i am conquered 
i am out of provisions out of money i have got to give it up all this hard work lost but i am not conquered i will go and work for money and come back and have another fight with fate ah me it may be years it may be years arrived at the mouth of the tunnel he threw his coat upon the ground sat down on a stone and his eyes sought the westering sun and dwelt upon the charming landscape which stretched its woody ridges wave upon wave to the golden horizon something was taking place at his feet which did not attract his attention his reverie continued and its burden grew more and more gloomy presently he rose up and cast a look far away toward the valley and his thoughts took a new direction there it is how good it looks but down there is not up here well i will go home and pack up there is nothing else to do he moved off moodily toward his cabin he had gone some distance before he thought of his coat then he was about to turn back but he smiled at the thought and continued his journey such a coat as that could be of little use in a civilized land a little further on he remembered that there were some papers of value in one of the pockets of the relic and then with a penitent ejaculation he turned back picked up the coat and put it on he made a dozen steps and then he stopped very suddenly he stood still a moment as one who is trying to believe something and cannot he put a hand up over his shoulder and felt his back and a great thrill shot through him he grasped the skirt of the coat impulsively and another thrill followed he snatched the coat from his back glanced at it threw it from him and flew back to the tunnel he sought the spot where the coat had lain he had to look close for the light was waning then to make sure he put his hand to the ground and a little stream of water swept against his fingers thank god i've struck it at last he lit a candle and ran into the tunnel he picked up a piece of rubbish cast out by the last blast and said this clayey stuff is what i've longed for i know what is behind it he swung his pick with hearty good will till long after the darkness had gathered upon the earth and when he trudged home at length he knew he had a coal vein and that it was seven feet thick from wall to wall he found a yellow envelope lying on his rickety table and recognized that it was of a family sacred to the transmission of telegrams he opened it read it crushed it in his hand and threw it down it simply said ruth is very ill end of chapter sixty two